This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in the stories of Maui from the Pacific Islands, and we'll see the big guy finally settle down. Of course, even in that, he can't fail but be epic, because his wife's ex is a giant, murderous eel. For the creature this week, if a firefly fills you with hatred to the point where you have a fiery hand shooting out of your mouth, it might not be a normal firefly. This is Myths and Legends, Episode 208, Big Tuna. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on Myths and Legends, and I mean previously, we met Maui, a demigod shapeshifter trickster of the Pacific Islands. This was over three years ago now, so if you'd like a refresher, check out episode 89. But as a brief backstory, Maui of the Topknot was born prematurely to the goddess Taranga. He fell from her, actually, and was raised by the ocean until the time came for him to return to his mother. She greeted him joyfully and welcomed him into the family, consisting of, no joke, four other brothers, also named Maui. Together, the Maui Five entertained themselves with things like lassoing the sun to make the day longer, bringing fire, and dredging up islands. Now, every hero needs a trademark weapon. Thor has his hammer, Hercules his club, Artemis her bow, and Maui has his... grandmother's jawbone. Yes, his magical grandmother willingly gave up her jawbone, so Maui could craft his magical fishhook. We start today's episode... Not with Maui, who is currently sailing back with his brothers after pulling islands from the sea, but with another person, one who is about to make a big change in her life. Hina sat at the breakfast table, so... How's work? Her husband didn't look up from the paper. Oh, fine, it was fine. Hina nodded. Cool, cool. Hey, did he, like, want to go away this weekend? Take a trip or something? Still not looking up. Her husband said that he had a lot to do, but maybe they could check out the reef on Sunday? Hina's shoulders sank. They always went to the reef. She was hearing about these new things popping up. Islands, they were called. Land. It was supposed to be wild. And they never did anything together anymore. She wanted more than this, she said, pointing all around. Her husband, Tetuna, as he was called, rolled his eyes and folded his paper. Cool. So they were having this conversation before he had to leave for work. They could take a trip together when he had more time. Also, Land? Hello? He was a giant, evil eel. He would suffocate if he were on land too long. But they would get away when they could. It it would be nice. Until then, what did she have to be unhappy about? Hina shrugged. I don't know. Living at the bottom of the sea? It was cold, dark, and damp. She had no one to talk to except for him. And even when he was there, he wasn't there. Why even kidnap her and make her his wife if he didn't want to be a husband? 
Tituna inhaled sharply. This wasn't a conversation he was going to have, especially now before work. Why couldn't she be forlorn and resigned to her fate like all the other kidnapped wives? Ever hear about Persephone? Why'd she have to be so uh, demanding? Hina's glare honed in on the eel's pointed face. You know what? This was it. Her husband reeled and refocused. Excuse you? Hina nodded, unflinching. This was it. If he left before this issue was resolved, she was leaving. As in G-O-N-E gone. Because marriage was an active thing, and if he didn't want to be a husband, she would find someone else who would, and she'd not live in a damp, cold cell for the rest of her life. She deserved to live, and as a demigoddess in some versions, she had options. Like shape-shifting. Tatuna laughed. Yeah, good luck with that. He rose from the table and swam for his hat and jacket. Fine then, leave, go. In a week's time, she'd be back, because no matter what she dreamed was out there, it wasn't better than this, baby. Besides, what would those, I don't know, hairless land monkeys, those th humans, those things popping up with the land, what would they do when they learned Hina's husband was Tatuna? Hmm? How affectionate would they be then? He could see Hina's anger forestalled by hesitation. And he smirked again. Yeah, that's what he thought. All right. He'd be home at six. Make sure dinner was on the table. He didn't like to wait. Hina watched her husband, the evil giant eel, Tatuna, wriggle off into the deep, blue-black of the ocean. And she hung her head. The good thing about the ocean was that the tears couldn't trickle down your face. This was hopeless, she thought. But then, her eyes widened. No, he was wrong. She could make her way in this world. Yes, she could do it. And even if she failed, being alone on a warm beach was fathoms better than being together in a watery tomb. Maui sat in the front of the canoe. Good fishing trip or great fishing trip? As they approached one, Maui stood, rocking the boat. He called this land. Maui's one through four looked at each other. Y yeah, land existed well before he pulled the islands from the sea. Now there was just more of it. Well, land might not be new, but the things that crawled on it definitely were. Something the brothers had never seen, a crowd, was forming on the beach. Maui leapt over the stern seat and splashed into the waves. Huh, they looked like him and his brothers. He slapped one on the back, and the man went flying about ten feet. Maui smiled sheepishly at, Walk it off, you're good. All eyes turned to Maui. It turned out they were a little more flimsy after all. The humans, as they would come to be called, were already grouping together and forming different villages. The Maui Five jumped in, helping them work out stuff like fishing. Soon, they were all out in their boats, making contact with the other islands, forming a network. The problem, however, was all this water. Water separated everything. Look, he loved the ocean, probably more than the others. The ocean had raised him, but it was bad for his new little pet project. It was salty, dangerous, vast, it had to go. Maui decided that he would draw all the islands together so the humans could be grouped in one big landmass. 
the ocean would exist at the fringes. Problem solved. Maui's brothers, having just witnessed the youngest pull an island from the sea, shrugged in unison. Sure. Why not? What did he need them to do? The answer was, a lot, it seemed. You'd think that drawing all the islands into one moderately large continent would involve pulling each landmass individually. But Maui was clever, and he found a way to move every island at once. It's just that he would not only need his strength, but the combined strength of his whole family. He would need all five Mauis on one rope. So, swinging the rope over his head, Maui squinted and aimed for the nearest island with Grandma's jawbone. The magical hook flew from his hands and landed far away. The brothers looked at one another, cracked their necks and knuckles, and picked up the rope. The work was sweaty, grueling, and slippery. Maui pulled as hard as he could, and the islands were almost in place. There remained little more than a wide river snaking between each of the islands, but no matter how hard Maui pulled, he just couldn't finish the job. Ever the foreman, he yelled back to encourage his brothers. They were almost there, but he didn't hear the grunting and straining of four lesser Mauis giving it their all. In fact, he didn't hear anything at all. Maui turned fully to his brothers, still straining to keep the islands from snapping back into place, and saw that they had dropped the rope. They weren't listening to him at all. They were looking out to sea, or what little sea remained. Maui had apparently neglected to give a heads up to all the working humans that their beachfront property was about to be non-existent. And so, a group of fishermen had still been on the water as the islands began to move towards them. In the rushing current of the shifting ocean surging to get out of the way, one of those fishermen had looked down and discovered something strange. A calabash gourd tossed and bobbed with the current, and the man leaned over the edge of the canoe and snagged it before it floated too far away. He put it in his boat and nodded to himself. Nice. All right. He glanced toward the quickly encroaching landmass and decided that it was high time to row back to shore. But when he turned back to the boat to make his getaway, his beautiful gourd was no more. It was now a beautiful woman. The fisherman might have been the first to notice Hina sitting there patiently in the boat. But he was not the only one. Head turns and shoulder taps from neighbor to neighbor rippled through the people. And soon, everyone on the beach had also turned to stare at Hina sitting in the boat. That was when the four Mauis dropped the rope to join the humans in gawking at this strange woman as she touched down on the shore. Maui growled at his brothers to pick up the rope. They were almost there. That is, he started to growl. He was the last person on the beach to notice Hina. But when he did, suddenly everything that mattered to him didn't matter anymore. The island's glory, nothing, only her. He released his rope just like his brothers, and the islands snapped back into place, probably causing worldwide catastrophic flooding, but he didn't care. He had to meet her. Come on in, shut the door, take a seat, the monster said to Taytuna. The eel nodded and sat down across the desk. Taytuna said that he hoped everything was satisfactory. He thought he already had his annual performance review, 
and he'd received glowing reports. The monster across the table grimaced. <sighs> well, so, Tuna was here because the monster cared. He sighed. How do I say this? He began. Is there trouble at home? Tuna leaned forward, his chair squeaking. He didn't see how that was relevant. It wasn't affecting his work. He was still terrorizing, killing, and otherwise being a menace to creatures and humans efficiently and effectively. In fact, he was better than ever. He didn't have to pretend everything with her was okay. Hina left, sure, but now he had time to get to know Tuna again, he said, tapping his chest with his tail. And you know what? He was finding out that he rather liked that guy. The monster across the table held up his hands, and Tuna was still doing a great job. No doubt about that. He was a complete professional. But it wasn't only about the humans being terrified. It was about respect. And well, how much longer would Tuna be able to strike fear into the hearts of mortals if one of them stole his wife? What? Tuna blurted. The monster nodded. Yeah, human, demigod, whatever he was, Hina had married Maui. The news hit Tuna like a shark head on. And when the initial shock faded, Tuna shrugged his non-existent shoulders. You know what? Cool. Good for her. This meant that she wasn't coming home. He could get back out there, kidnap another bride. It was all good. He wasn't even mad when he thought about it. <sighs> the monster sighed. Well, Tuna should be. And that was the problem. This set a dangerous precedent. If kidnapped brides could just, like, leave and marry demigods and no one ever faced any repercussions, why even kidnap them in the first place? Tuna needed to make this right by taking back his wife and killing Maui, or else he would be given a generous severance package, in that the other monsters would sever his head from his body and then go do the job anyway. All right. Good talk. The HR monster stood. This would need to be wrapped up by end of business on Monday, at the latest. Okay? Bye bye Maui kissed Tina and embraced her one last time. He would be back around midday if he could stand to be away from her for that long. Hina smiled and waved him away. Go hunt, fish, whatever he needed to do. She would do some things around the house. Maui grinned, nodded, and bounded away into the forest. It had been a wonderful first few months. Maui, despite his powers and his origins, had presented a strange request. He wished to live like the humans. He longed to have a simple thatched house on a warm and windy mountain overlooking the sea. Hina had agreed, and together, they were happy. In the sun, Hina smiled as she felt her growing abdomen, her daughter, their daughter. As she finished things up around the house, she took her gourd and made the long walk down to the river. Maui didn't like her to exert herself, but she was stronger than he knew. Besides, after years in the cold, dark depths, she couldn't get enough of the sun's rays. So warm and inviting, Hina waded into the cool river, scooping up the water. She paused to take a deep breath and closed her eyes to bask in the moment. 
Then she felt it. Hey, she said, slapping at the water. A familiar face rose from the reflective surface. Ugh, it was Tuna. He glared at her. Oh, too much? Well, that's what she wanted, right? That's why she left him for this, uh, this mammal. He spat. Hina grimaced. Tuna was unbelievable. What, now he was looking for her? Don't flatter yourself, sweetie. Tuna seat. It was affecting his work. Oh, there it is, Hina said, throwing up her hands. That's all that mattered to him. She sneered in return. Maui was more of a man than he would ever be. Tuna laughed. Of course Maui was. Tuna was an eel. How was that supposed to be insulting? Hina looked down at her slime-covered dress from where Tuna had brushed against her. If Maui saw this, he'd do what? Tuna asked, but then smiled. Nothing, right? Because Maui was a mortal. Hina shook her head. Tuna would be sorry he did this. He'd see. She stormed off back in the direction of her home. Tuna smiled, his sharp teeth glinting in the sunlight. She'd fallen for it. Hook, line, and sinker. We'll see Maui's reaction to Tuna's visit, but that will be right after this. The next day, Hina approached the river sheepishly. She saw the massive, serpentine form glide up to her side of the shore. Tuna smirked. Well, well, well. Back so soon. Where's the new guy? Too scared? Bummer. Tuna reared, his massive form shooting from the water and looming over Hina. Well, he would be taking her home now, and if this human wanted her back, he would have no choice but to follow. Then, Tuna paused. What did you say? Speak up. I can't hear you. He's not scared. Hina mumbled face downcast. Oh, well, if he's so brave, then where is he? Tuna demanded. Hina looked up with a smile, just above Tuna's head. Here, the giant eel heard from above. In the sky, a massive bird of prey dove, and at the last second, transformed into Maui, who flipped and buried his axe deep in Tuna's neck. Not deep enough to kill the monster, but it was a shock. Hina beamed as Maui wrenched the axe free and raised it above his head again. Except, this time, Tuna was ready. Tuna's massive tail swept Maui's feet right out from under him. The axe craned off into the jungle, burying itself somewhere in the brush. Maui hit the rocks hard, his blood mingling with the water. Tuna roared and shot off after the demigod, flying toward him. But Maui leapt and struck out again at the monster, bringing it down hard. Tuna backed off, sinking down into the muddy water and out of sight. The eel had left Maui in the river, splashing and yelling for the coward to come out. And it was because of the searching that Maui didn't realize Tuna had already returned. You see, like Maui, Tuna could also change his form. At the last moment, Maui saw the tail end of the now four-inch long Tuna right as the creature slithered into one of the open wounds on Maui's arm. Somehow, Maui didn't panic. He didn't shriek. 
With clarity of thought, he knew he needed to get this monster out of him before it went deeper. Right now, it was just burrowing under his skin and tearing through his muscles. If it reached his core... But Maui couldn't punch it. That would only encourage it to go further. His eyes darted to a sharp river rock. Swallowing hard, Maui stabbed at his arm, just below the shoulder. The eel, not seeing that coming at all, squirmed from the fresh wound. He was vulnerable while that small, if Maui was willing to attack his own body to be rid of the invader. Tuna once again disappeared into the water. But he didn't stay hidden for long. Maui might be powerful, but he was still only a demigod. Tuna knew that son of Taranga could only barely handle his full power. And even then, not for long. The creature roared again and charged. But now, it was Maui's turn to shrink. He splashed toward the monster and, leaping into the air, went full Ant-Man, shrinking as he flew. But Tuna was ready. He snapped at the air where he knew the demigod would be. and. With one diminutive bite, ate Maui whole. The river fell quiet, and still, Hina stood in shock. What? How? Maui was supposed to rescue her from Tuna, not, not die. Basking in victory, Tuna turned, his tail emerging from the river and wrapping around his once and future wife. She would be coming with it. <clears throat> Sorry, one moment. <clears throat> I got something in my... Before Tuna could finish another word, a look of shock, and then horror washed over Tuna's eel face as his neck popped, and Maui took its place. Both sank into the river, but only Maui emerged, full-sized once again, the water already helping to wash away the eel bits. Hina embraced him. Maui was alive. He just needed a little help clearing his throat, Maui said, turning to Tuna's now-severed head. You were saying, bud? He shrugged. Huh? Guess the fish didn't feel like talking anymore. Maui looked again to Hina. It, get it? Because I, I cleared his throat when I annihilated his throat? I was super tiny, and then I grew to full size, effectively decapitating him? It, yeah, I, I got it, Hina said. He was getting a head start on those dad jokes, apparently. She looked down at her ex and frowned. They should go home. It was over now. But Maui shook his head and slipped from her grasp to pick up the head of Tuna and drag his body to the shore. Not yet. If you're familiar with Maui v. Tuna, or have heard one line of a certain Dwayne Johnson sung song, you know what happens when Maui buries the pieces of tuna. The world gets nuts. Uh, it, the world gets coconuts. They started on Maui's island and spread out from there. It said that when he tossed the head into the sea, it became the conger eel, one of the longest of the eels. And when the other bits touched water, they became lesser eels. Of course, I should mention that there are so many different versions of this myth. In some of them, Maui doesn't fight inside of Tuna, but instead quickly chops off his head with an axe. In others, he has to find creative ways to draw the eel out of the safety of the water altogether by digging trenches, and then praying for rain to flood the river and carry the eel down to where he can actually get it. In the Hawaiian version, 
where Hina is the name of Maui's mother, and thusly not his wife, this isn't that type of story, Maui has to bring lava to her rescue, because Tuna uses water to flush Hina out. It works, and Tuna is boiled alive. We catch up with Maui and Hina years later, still in their simple home, with the nightmares of the past far behind them. And by now, they have two daughters. And since we diverge from the narrative a bit here, let me say that this next story comes from Maori folklore, where Hina isn't Maui's wife, but his sister named Hina Tia. She and her husband, Iruwaru, have come to stay with Maui, his mother, and his brothers. Hina Tia, of course, was always welcome. And you know what? Her husband was a nice guy. A little aimless, sure, but Maui was happy to host them both. Iruwaru was practically a brother to Maui, too. He could take the couch. How long would he be? One week? Two? Five years later, Maui passed his brother-in-law in the hall. Super fun how he never got to use the main room now. Hey, brah, Iruwaru said as Maui passed by. Want to go fishing? Maui rolled his eyes. He had things to do. That those things included fishing, but alone, was none of his brother-in-law's business. Aw, it's okay to be scared that I'll show you up and catch more fish than you, Iruwaru taunted, settling back into Maui's couch. Maui couldn't ignore that one. I'm a demigod, he reminded. I literally pulled up this island that we're on right now. Nice, Iruwaru replied. Then you got nothing to worry about. An hour later, Maui sat perplexed. How in the world was he doing that? Not only was Iruwaru fishing well, he was fishing better than Maui. In fact, the boat was full of fish. All thanks to Iruwaru. More hours passed, and Iruwaru's pile grew, while Maui's contained nothing more than his own bait. The demigod looked at his brother-in-law sideways. Okay, what are you not telling me? Iruwaru shrugged. Talent he guessed. As he pulled in yet another fish, he clapped Maui on the back. No big deal, big guy. You're a legend. Sure, islands can't move like fish, but it was all still very impressive. Hey, I'm hungry, Iruwaru said, changing the subject. Mind if we head back? I think I've, uh, I mean, we've pretty much fished this area out. Maui shot him a look and refused. No, he wasn't tired or hungry, and he loved fishing with his brother-in-law. They should stay out here. And no, the fact that he hadn't caught anything all morning did not play into his decision at all. Maui stretched his back, and as he did, his line went taut. He had something. Iruwaru started to congratulate his brother-in-law on finally getting a bite, but he had a bite of his own. Wow, a big one. This, this might be one of the monsters of the deep. Maui nodded, him too. I don't want to belabor this whole thing, so I'll just come right out and say it. Their lines were tangled, and when they discovered this, they also discovered that, of the two hooks, only Iruwaru's had a fish on it. Maui's just had his bait. Iruwaru worked to untangle the lines and remove his fish, before handing the hook back to Maui. The hook, but not the bait. Maui held out his hand, what gives? Where was his bait? He had the same one all morning. He didn't want to waste it. Oh, I, I ate it, Iruwaru said. Now he wrinkled his nose. Ew, Iru. Seriously? 
You did not. What? I said I was hungry. And you wouldn't row back to shore unless you caught something. And it's not like you're using your bait. How are you even mad right now? Iruwaru tried not to grin as Maui rooted around the boat. Wait, where was all his bait? Uh, have you been snacking on my bait? What are you, a dog? Iruwaru shrugged. Welp, looked like they were both out of bait for completely legitimate reasons. Time to head back. They both knew Maui wouldn't desecrate the fishing grounds by cutting up a freshly caught fish for bait. So, yeah, it was time to head back. The return ride was silent the whole way. Maui was still grossed out that Iruwaro had eaten the bait, and when they at last reached the shore, Maui told Iruwaro to get out and drag the outrigger to shore while Maui pushed from behind. He agreed, and, holding up the boat, dragged it over the sand. At that moment, Maui... Uh, Maui was just so tired of this guy. He couldn't believe he was family. I mean, the guy dragged Maui's reputation down with him. The dog. Maybe Maui planned it all along. Maybe it was just a spur-of-the-moment choice that didn't have any thought behind it whatsoever. But whatever it was, Maui stopped pushing and leapt on the outrigger, bringing it down hard on his brother-in-law and instantly shattering the guy's spine in multiple places. Iruwaru could hardly speak for all the pain, and Maui grimaced. Ooh, that was a bit more intense than he intended. He didn't want to kill him. I mean, well, okay, he absolutely wanted to kill the man, but he knew how angry Hinatia would be. Still, this did offer a tempting way out of having the guy live with him, this dog. And that's when Maui had an idea. So, do you have fun with Iruwaru today? Hinatia asked when Maui returned home. Maui certainly seemed happy. Maui shook his head. No, it was horrible as usual. But he had found a solution to their Iruwaru problem. Hinatia's face darkened. He wasn't a problem. She loved him. Speaking of whom, where was he? Maui smirked. You know what? She was right. He was very loyal. Hinatia studied the surf. Seriously, where was Iruwaru? Just then, a dog ran up to them, barking. Hinatia, meet Iruwaru, Maui announced. He bent down, and the dog snapped at him. Still, he was proud of his handiwork. He explained that the man had been in rough shape. Let's not worry about how it happened. So Maui had chanted a karakia, a Maori incantation and stretched out his spine and legs. His lungs were mostly gone, so he couldn't talk anymore. Only bark. But yeah, consolation prize, he would be god of the dogs or something. Maui would run it up the flagpole, but he had connections, don't worry about it. He looked at Hinatia, grinning. What, she was mad? How was she mad? This guy was the worst. Now he was a lovable little scamp, the definition of a good boy. This was the best possible outcome. But Hinatia did not see it that way. She would need some time to process. Without another word, she gathered her things and went for a walk. And she never returned. It said that she was so distraught that Maui turned Iruwaru into a dog that she never forgave him. That she couldn't live in that house, having to pick up her husband's poop in those tiny bags. Hinatia found a cliff overlooking the ocean and walked over the edge. She was so distraught 
that she gave herself up to the monsters of the deep. Except Maui and family didn't know that yet, and so they were all celebrating their new pet, their brother-in-law, now Hina, our Hina, the one with whom we opened the story, put her arm around Maui as they watched the girls chase the new dog. This was a big improvement. Maui turned to his mother, Taranga, and asked what she thought. But as she responded that, while she didn't officially condone turning her children's spouses into domesticated animals, she had never liked that guy, Maui held up his hand. Wait, what was that? He stood, pointing at her hair. Oh, did she have a bug in it? She brushed it with her hands. Maui shook his head, transfixed, as he drew the solitary silver strand from its black companions. Taranga looked it over. Ah, bummer, yeah. A gray hair, another one. She wrapped it around her finger and yanked it out. Maui stood in total shock. Why was it doing that? A single hair, changing color. Taranga sat confused. Doing what? Turning gray? It was because she was getting older, and it wasn't just a single one. They would all do that, eventually. They were demigods, so it took longer. But they, too, grew older and eventually died. What? Maui screamed. Taranga nodded. Yes, she was going to die someday. Maui was also going to die. His children, too. Everyone. That was how it worked. Maui bristled. Oh no, that was not how it worked. Not if he had anything to say about it. The next time we dive back into the Maui stories, we will see Maui's fairly explicit quest to stop death for everyone forever. That won't be next week. But I promise, it will not take us three years to get back to this. If you'd like to support the show, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a fully sequined hidden picture pillow that, when brushed in one direction, looks like a mermaid's tail, but when brushed in the opposite direction, boom, turns into a life-size picture of Danny DeVito, don't know why, you can get bonus episodes and ad-free versions of this show. No mid-rolls, no interruptions, and no surprise snuggle sessions with shiny Danny DeVito. Find out more about the membership at mythpodcast.com membership. And if you're into things like t-shirts, stickers, and some fun limited time things, we have a little online shop for you at shop.bardic.fm. The creature this week is the Adzi from You Folklore in Africa, largely from areas in Ghana and Togo. If you're playing outside, catching fireflies at dusk, there's something you should know. If you catch one and it remains a firefly, well, it's probably just a firefly. If, however, it transforms into a human figure in your hands, then it's absolutely not a firefly. It's Adzi, and you're in trouble. Adzi isn't technically a creature. It's witchcraft or sorcery, an evil magical energy among the you people. On the plus side of the column, it will give the possessed superpowers to do things that, quote, abominate. And on the negative side, it could turn you into said evil firefly, give you a hunger for organs and blood, and make it so you can only come out at night 
Oh, and also you'll sometimes have a fiery hand or snake shooting out of your mouth. If those things for some reason appeal to you, well, all you have to do is start a fight with mom or your siblings or just any member of your family. You don't even have to let them know either. Your envy and resentfulness can be a source of adsy that can turn people into organ-snacking fireflies, which is a fun thought going into the holidays. If you encounter someone possessed with adsy, good luck. This vampire-like creature is extremely powerful in human form. It will attack you and probably eat your organs. But that's not all. Oh no, even in firefly form, this creature is problematic. Like anger, resentfulness, and tension can propagate among people, a single bite can infect you, turning you into a possessed witch. So, if you're an outdoorsy person, more power to you. Unless you come into contact with Adzi, in which case, all the power in the world is not enough to help you. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music, our website, Myths and Legends membership, and swag in the show notes. And I want to say thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring us this week. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You should really check out BetterHelp. They assess your needs to match you with your own professional, licensed therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Visit BetterHelp.com myths. That's BetterHelp and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Myths and Legends listeners get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com myths. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.